Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. There's been so much conversation, so much talk, so much frustration over the Bernardo transfer. From the maximum security prison Millhaven in Ontario to a medium security prison in uh, Quebec, and even the uh, the Premier of Ontario mused the other day about putting Bernardo into the general population of a uh, of a prison, and uh, we all know what would happen in that regard. So we're going to talk more about that tomorrow. Uh, Tim Danson is going to be joining us. We'll also talk to another prominent lawyer who represented a serial killer in this country. Um, so we have a lot to talk about. Ron Dalton, I want to approach this a little differently now. Ron Dalton was convicted of murdering his wife. After 12 years in prison, forensic evidence proved him innocent. Ron is uh, co-president of Innocence Canada, and uh, they work very hard to identify the wrongfully convicted in this country and uh, find a way to persuade through evidence, scientific and otherwise, of the innocence of individuals who are in prison. Uh, Mr. Dalton joins us. InnocenceCanada.ca, by the way, is the is the website, InnocenceCanada.ca. And they're a small organization. They do great work. So if you can contribute something to the, to the efforts of Innocence Canada, they would be more than... More than happy if, if you did that. Ron, thank you very much uh, for the time. Let me ask you this out of the gate. What's your assessment of Correctional Service Canada quietly and secretly moving Paul Bernardo from that maximum security institution in Ontario to medium security in Quebec, uh, where um, where he's with he's housed essentially, I, I understand, by with other um, with sex criminals? What's your sense of that? Roy, I'm the last one to uh, be in defense of the Correctional Service of Canada, <clears throat> and it's not the area of expertise that Innocence Canada deals with. We deal with innocent people. But by and large, my experience is the more the politicians stay out of it and they allow the Correctional Service of Canada's professionals and the parole board's professionals to deal with uh, Bernardo and any other prisoner, the better. Bernardo is serving several life sentences. He's a dangerous offender. There's a very, very minute chance that he will ever see freedom. And it's up for them to decide where the best level of security to keep him is. If, if they have a special prison in Quebec for sex offenders and they can give him uh, a little bit more freedom than he's had uh, in maximum security custody, there's still, you know, 30-foot walls around these places and double double fences with razor wire at the top of them. So I, I would leave it to the professionals to, to deal with. I, I understand the public being outraged, but he's not going to a club fed or any of that sort of thing. So I, I wouldn't really opine one way or the other on it, but I think making it political is probably a mistake. Have you found uh, what's been said and what's being said uh, frustrating given your experience with uh the justice system, uh, which didn't treat you well, but you understand the correctional system and the justice system better than well, most. Well, I, I spent a, enough time in there to understand how it works. Yeah. It's very frustrating. It's not the real world, and, and it's uh, fraught with all kinds of problems. If I wasn't advocating for wrongly convicted individuals, which I kind of feel is a bit of a calling for me at this point, uh, I might be trying to advocate for prison reform, but I, I think my priority is still with the wrongly convicted. 
Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that in just a moment, but I do want to ask you this question. What's the talk now, do you think, inside Canada's correctional facilities? And is Bernardo in greater danger in the Quebec prison because of all the coverage that he's received than he might otherwise be? I, I don't think uh, that the coverage makes much different because there's not a prisoner or hardly a citizen in the country who doesn't know who Paul Bernardo is and what his background is. The danger comes if they put him in a less restrictive environment, because even in protective custody and in sex offender prisons, uh, people kill each other. And if that's, that's a decision for Bernardo and the Correctional Service to make. If they're prepared to live with the additional risk, and that's up to them. He would have to accept a certain level of additional risk just to go into the population, even within a protective custody environment. Ron, uh, speak with us, please, about your friend, uh, Glenn Nassoon, who died, uh, I believe it was three days ago, who, like you, was uh, wrongfully convicted and spent years in prison. Glenn Glenn actually spent double the time that I did in in prison. Glenn had a, a difficult life. He was abandoned as a child. He probably had some mental health issues before he went to prison. He certainly had physical and mental health issues when he got out of prison. He received some compensation three or four years ago, but that didn't buy him back the the last time or his health. Now, the report I'm hearing is that he he was at a restaurant and choked on a piece of meat and they weren't able to revive him. But I suspect that was probably complicated by uh, some heart issues that he had and and, and he may have been drinking at the time. He had fallen into some bad habits in, in the last couple of years, trying to deal with the, the frustration of what he had been through. Yeah, the idea of... Uh, so it's a tragic, a tragic end to a sad, a sad life. Yes. And the idea of hearing about uh, potentially choking on a piece of food and dying must be eerily... Uh, must bring some eerie memories for you. Oh, it certainly, it certainly does. I... Uh, uh, after uh, my appeal was successful, uh, I had to do a retrial, and the judge doing the retrial lost his sister to a choking event a couple months into my trial. Now, the judge had to step down for health reasons just before that happened, but coincidentally, about the time he would have been uh, instructing my jury, his own sister choked on some bacon in her Ottawa home in front of her husband and passed away. So these things do happen. Fortunately, they're relatively rare, but certainly it, it brings back bad memories for me. Yeah, people who may not be aware of your of your experience, uh, your wife uh, died choking on a piece of breakfast cereal, and an inexperienced doctor decided that uh, what was going on inside her throat was strangulation, and uh, that resulted in you being convicted of murdering your wife and spending 12 years in prison. Um Ron, what about um, what about the innocent in Canada's prison system? Is it throughout the system? Is it men and women, uh, all ages? Do we have a do we have a really significant issue about with with wrongfully convicted innocent people being incarcerated in Canada? Roy, there's a, a very good book just came out in April by Professor Professor Kent Roach from the University of Toronto. He teaches at the law school there. He talks about a number of cases, mine included. It's called Wrongful Convictions. It's got an orange uh, uh, cover, dust cover on it. It's well worth people picking up and and having a look at because he gives a pretty concise history of what the wrongful conviction movement in this country, 
the best estimate we have, because nobody really knows for sure, is that there are between 400 and 500 wrongful convictions per year in Canada. Now, a lot of them are for break and enter or lesser crimes, but they're still miscarriages of justice. We're currently working on slightly over 100 cases in the Innocence Canada office at the moment. Half of those are on a wait list because we're a nonprofit organization and we have to raise funds to exist. We, we spend our time fixing government's mistakes and paying for the privilege. So currently, the, the current justice minister, fortunately, has introduced legislation back in February to create an independent publicly funded body to do that type of work. Uh, it passed second reading this week, but we don't know the details. The devil's always in the details. We don't know who will be appointed if it gets through Parliament and the Senate before another election. And if it comes into force, we don't know exactly how it will operate. I suspect there'll always be a need for an organization like ours around. But we're closer now than we've ever been in this country to having a publicly funded independent body. Which is what we need. And, and you know, I, I don't want listeners to think that for a moment we're talking about Paul Bernardo when we talk about uh, people, the innocent being convicted, there's no doubt about Bernardo's guilt. But four to five hundred a year, Ron, in this country that's, are innocent. That's the best. That's the best. Wow, estimate. that's a big well, number. That's, that's a really big number. I, I repeat now, that's not homicide cases, of course. Yeah. That's all kinds of cases. Yeah. But you, you have to remember that uh, 75 or 80 percent of criminal cases are resolved by way of, uh, of agreement or plea bargain or something. And sometimes people will plead guilty to something just to save the risk of going to trial. There's all kinds of factors that, that come into play. But we know for certain that, that we're getting more applications for homicide wrongful convictions than we ever did before. So it's not going down. Our population is getting larger. So the more people we have, and then we have some specific subcategories. Indigenous people in this country are very overrepresented in the prison system, and they're overrepresented in the wrongful conviction ranks as well. Uh, finally, just remind us of how long it took for you to be released from the time that you began your appeal, which I believe was fairly almost immediately after you were convicted. A couple of weeks after I was convicted. Yeah. So, how, so it took 12 years. It took eight and a half years. And then uh, when my appeal was successful, I faced a retrial that took another couple of years. I was 12 years from start to finish. Then because there's no mechanism for compensating people in our system either. Then I spent seven years in civil proceedings uh, fighting for some compensation for myself and my family. I had a six-year-old daughter the year her mother died. She just graduated kindergarten. I made her high school graduation by about two hours, 12 years later. Yeah, you've mentioned that before, and I, it just yeah. uh, it always resonates with me. Yeah. Well, it, it, it kind of allows people to picture yeah. You know, the length of time, and, and everybody can recall what they did between the time they graduated kindergarten and they graduated high school. For sure. I missed all that, and so did my family. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 